Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Now, today we're kind of continuing a series of messages, and we're talking about the difference between a Christian and a disciple. And today I want to talk particularly about how a disciple receives the Word of God and what they do with the Word of God. But to begin with, just kind of a short introduction. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has risen from the dead. He appears to his disciples. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, Jesus uses the word make disciples, those two words. In other words, it's a process. You don't one second become a Christian and you're instantly a disciple, at least not one who's fully trained, because Jesus said a disciple, when he's fully trained, is like his teacher. So there is this process that we're going through. In fact, in Romans 1, it says it's from faith to faith, which means two things that I'd like to mention. It means, first of all, God will never design a plan or a destiny for your life that does not include faith. And secondly, it says faith to faith. So the faith that you start with is not enough to bring you all the way to fulfill your destiny. Your faith needs to keep on growing. We go from faith to faith, or we could even say from glory to glory. So there's this process. So often people come to Jesus and what they're really looking for is a better life. And not that Jesus does not provide a better life because he said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. But Jesus is interested in so much more than a better life. He wants to make you a better person. Now, he receives us as we are, but he doesn't want to leave us the way that we are. Again, the Bible says from glory to glory, into the, as we're beholding the image of the Lord, we become more and more like him. Right? Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 16, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I remember years ago reading a paraphrase that said it this way, that what you do is you lose your low life and Jesus gives you the high life. I like that. But notice it says you deny yourself. Rick Warren wrote, I believe it was the best-selling book of the 20th century called Purpose Driven Life. The first phrase in the book said, it's not about you. Let me realize it's not about you. And that's why the Bible says you deny yourself. See, you were made for relationship with God. And the way that God communicates with us, of course, he communicates by his spirit, but he communicates through his word. See, so it's very possible for you to be a Christian and have Jesus in your heart. And your heart is full, but your head is empty. You don't have the wisdom and the principles of Jesus. So you have the person of Jesus, but you don't have the principles of Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus in your head. The person of Jesus comes to your heart, but the wisdom and the principles of Jesus, they come to your head. So the Bible says this in Proverbs 19. The foolishness of a man 
ruins his way. It's saying that you, you may be a person who has Jesus, the person of Jesus in your heart, but you're making some dumb decisions. You're not walking in the principles of God's word. And you're not walking in the wisdom of God's word. And so you make dumb decisions and it ruins your life. Now, I know that wouldn't happen to anybody here, but I'm just telling you it has happened to people. And then here's the result. Look, and it says, and his heart rages against the Lord. So after he makes a bad decision and it ruins his life, what does he do? He blames God. He said, God, why'd you do that? God, why did, why did that happen? And God, why'd you let this happen? And God's in heaven going, because you made a stupid decision. Is that a bad word? Is that like politically correct? No, I'm not. I'm not sure I'm supposed to say that. So if I'm not supposed to say that, do take it off the tape. All right, guys. Disciples make Jesus word the foundation for the life, their, their life. It's not an add on, not when it's convenient, but always, even when it's inconvenient. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter seven. He said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house. It didn't fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descend, the floods came, the wind blew, beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, notice Jesus said, both of these people hear his word. One's a doer, one's not. He said, if you do my word, listen, what he says is going to happen. He said, there are going to be rains, there's going to be floods. There's going to be winds that are going to beat against the house of your life. He said, but what happens if you're a doer of the word, your house, your life is going to stand. He said, but if you hear and you don't do, you're going to have the same rains, same floods, same winds, but your life is going to topple. A disciple makes Jesus and his word the foundation of their life. Now, somebody says, why should I even do that? I mean, it's just this book. It's the Bible. It's like somebody said, well, the Bible says, and somebody else said, yeah, but Oprah said. Right? And they take Oprah and Bible and like put them all together. And like Oprah says this and the Bible says that. And who knows who's right? Well, I want you to know who's right. The Bible's right. The Bible is right. The Bible is God breathed. Right? Every detail. In fact, when it comes to the life of Jesus alone, there's 332 prophecies about what Jesus would do in his life. Uh, just a couple of them that I wanted to mention that he would be betrayed by a good friend. Psalms 41 and verse 9. That his disciples would uh, forsake him and be offended. Psalms 31. That there'd be false accusations. Psalms 35. He'd be silent before his judges. They'd bring in false witnesses. He would be included with sinners in his death. He would be crucified. His hands and his feet would be pierced. He would be mocked by spectators. They would gamble over his garments. 
He would pray for his enemies. He'd be forsaken by God. He would yield up his spirit into God's hands. Not one of his bones would be broken. He'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. 332 of them. Now, what they actually did was took each one of those and gave it a numerical probability. Being born in Bethlehem, one in 50. Having to come out of Egypt to get to the promised land, one in 50. And they took all 332 of them and calculated the probability of it happening to one person. And by the way, it's 84 with 97 zeros behind it. Now, you may not get it, but that's like a big number. Right? That, that's kind of like, uh, I have a watch right here. It's a mechanical watch. And uh, my understanding is there's like just over 200 parts inside this watch. So if we took my watch and we took every part and laid them out on a big piece of cardboard and all 200 parts, and then I took them and I threw them up in the air, it is more probable that all the parts would come together, that the watch would hit the ground, telling the right time and date, then that one person would fulfill 332 prophecies. In other words, God proves his word is supernatural by the prophecies that are in the word. Right? God's word was always Jesus' final authority. Jesus did not question the validity of the Bible. In fact, when he faced the devil in temptation, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was saying the Bible first came out of God's mouth and then it was written. And by the way, it was written so you could speak it. He taught and he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. He believed the scriptures when the Pharisees come to him and are asking him about the subject of divorce. He says, haven't you read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and they're no longer two, but one flesh. Do you notice Jesus believed that the first man and the first woman were Adam and Eve? He believed that God created Adam and Eve. Jesus believed the scripture. If you can say it, this, I like to say it like this. If you cut Jesus, scripture came out. Everything, everything that happened, it was scripture, right? Sometimes what happens is this. Today, people exalt their feelings over the word of God. They're, they're, they're literally, they live their life based on their emotions, but disciples do not live by their emotions. In fact, Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. According to Jesus, there's something you can do to not let your heart be troubled. And that, that's important. You see, but what he's saying is this, what you think about is going to determine what's happening on the inside of you. In Isaiah, he said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind or literally, by the way, that if you go back in the original, one of the roots of this word is imagination or thinking is set on God. When we have our thoughts directed correctly, it keeps us in peace. 
That's why Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. If there was nothing you could do about your feelings and about your thoughts and about fear, if there was nothing you could do, Jesus wouldn't have said, don't let your heart be troubled. Right? So disciples do not let their emotions control them. Right? God pours his blessing out, may I just say this, on doers of the word of God. In James, it says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing himself, his natural face in the mirror. He observes himself, he goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the Bible, by the way, is that perfect law of liberty. And what it's supposed to do is supposed to be a mirror. And as you look in this law of liberty, you're supposed to see yourself. But it's supposed to change what you see, right? Looking at the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. That one will be blessed in what he does. So it's saying that God's word is like a mirror. And when you read the word, you're supposed to look in that word and see yourself. And as you see yourself, you're going to see who God has made you to be. You're going to see the corrections that need to be made. If, if uh, I'm going to use Jeannie as an example because she has hair. Right? So, so if, if my, my wife, Jeannie, she gets up in the morning and, and, and she goes over into the bathroom and she's standing in front of the vanity and she sees that, you know, hair is going in every direction and there's a crusty coming out of her nose. And she just, she just looks at that and goes, wow, and just walks away. How many of you know there's no benefit? Right? When, when we're looking in that perfect law of liberty, it's going to show us some things we need to correct. It's going to show us what we are supposed to look like as well. See, we need to be doers of the word, not just hearers. So disciples value the word of God. They recognize it for what it is, not the word of man, but the word of God. But disciples are doers of the word. They believe the word. They're doers of the word. In Hebrews 11, which is kind of God's chapter of, of uh, his heroes, who's who? You know, you look and you see some just trusted and obeyed. They heard and they obeyed. But they faced dark situations. They faced storms. They faced silence. They faced giants and famine invading armies. And they were outnumbered and they, they, they were sacrificed. But there was powerful provision. There were miraculous victories. There were incredible turnarounds as people believed the word and obeyed the word of God. It even goes on further and says this. Women received their dead raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourging. Yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheep's sins goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world wasn't worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect without us. Now notice it says they had a good testimony, but they didn't receive the promise. Now the promise is the eternal city of God. It's what you and I would refer to as heaven. And it says they're not going to receive it before us. That's why the Bible says 
When Christ returns, the dead in Christ rise first, and then we who are alive will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be forever with the Lord. But many people by faith received miraculous deliverances, but others were persecuted for the kingdom of God's sake, and they also did it by faith. They believed God's promise that there was a eternal reward for them. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 10, for as the rain came down and the snow from heaven didn't return there, but watered the earth and made it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It'll prosper in the thing for which I've sent it. A lot of people read that my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And like, oh, who knows what God's going to do? No, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. He said, like rain and snow come down and cause there to, to the, the earth to bring forth in bud. He said, that's what my word will do. See, his word will do the same thing, and it will cause something to spring forth and bud and produce fruit in our lives. But we've got to receive that word. We can't think, well, I'm never going to know what God thinks, because his word tells us what he thinks, what he believes, and his will for us, and what Jesus has done for us. Disciples want their lives to count and have an impact on people around them. Now, when it happens is when the word of God is working in us. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this reason also we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. The Bible is not the word of men, it's the word of God, and it works effectively in those who believe, right? In Hebrews, it says it's alive, it's powerful, but it works in those who believe. God's word will perform surgery on us. It'll heal our hearts. It will empower us. It will paint a picture on the inside of you. I'm going to say this. You, God's word is supposed to change the way you see yourself. The way you see your circumstances is supposed to paint a picture of victory on the inside of you. And nothing changes on the outside until it first changes on the inside. You don't see it on the outside until you first see it on the inside. Right? So that's why we've got to spend time in the word of God. In fact, literally, we have got to take God's word, and the Bible says meditate on it, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But if your input from mainstream media and social media is greater than your input from the word of God, is it any wonder that you're discouraged and fearful? In fact, all of your problems are self-inflicted because social media, our, 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 our news, mainstream media, they're going to paint a picture on the inside of you that is fearful. It's a picture where you're helpless, where circumstances are dominating you. But the word of God is going to paint a different picture on the inside of you. Apart from God's word, we will never know truth. 
Jesus said, your word is truth. And apart from God's word, we can't know God. We can know he's powerful. We can look at the universe and say, wow, uh, God is powerful. God is all knowing. But we're not going to know him. The way that we know him is through the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Now, that's why, let me just say it again. Disciples believe the word and disciples are doers of the word. But there is something else that disciples are. And this literally makes all the difference in the world. Disciples meditate in the word of God. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Psalms 1 says, in his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. Mark 4, verse 24, the Amplified Translation says it like this. The amount of thought and study you give to the truth that you hear will be the amount of virtue, the amount of power, the amount of anointing, the difference that the word of God is going to make in your life. So so there's this meditating that needs to take place, not just hearing it. Now, the Bible literally is supposed to change the way that we think. The Bible is God's word. It's supernatural in origin. It's eternal in duration. It's inexpressible in value. It's infinite in scope, regenerative in power, infallible in authority, universal in interest, personal in application. It changes the man until he becomes what he reads, an epistle of God. It transforms his mind, changes his character, takes him from grace to grace, and gives him an inheritance in the spirit. And God comes and dwells in him, walks in him, talks through him, and has communion with him. The word of God, it is alive, it's powerful, but we've got to get it down on the inside. And that's where meditation comes in. Uh, Dwight L. Moody said this, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Now, for that to happen, it needs to change the way that you and I are thinking, right? So we need to meditate, which means that you need to personalize that scripture, right? You need to mutter it. You need to imagine it. You need to muse it. You need to speak the scripture. Philemon 1 verse 6 says that the communication of your faith may become effectual through the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ. I want to ask you, when is the last time you acknowledged what Christ Jesus has done for you? In uh, Revelation chapter 12, it says you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the, the word of your testimony. What is your testimony? What is it you're saying? Right? So you personalize it, you see it, you imagine it, you muse it, you mutter it, you speak it. Let me give you a few examples, and we're going to close with this. Psalms 20 and verse 4 says, May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. I'm going to ask you to confess this with me. All right? God is giving me the desires of my heart, and he makes all of my plans succeed. Jesus bore my sicknesses, and carried my pains. Therefore, I give no place to sickness and pain. Father, because of your word, 
I'm an overcomer. I overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. No evil will befall me, nor shall any plague come in my dwelling. For you give your angels charge over me. You keep me in all my ways. In my pathway is life, healing and health. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. Therefore, I refuse to allow sickness to dominate my body. The life of God flows within me. It brings healing to every fiber of my being. Jesus bore the curse for me. Therefore, I forbid growth, tumors, or cancer to inhabit my body. The life of God in me dissolves growth and tumors. The Lord is the strength of my life. Every organ and tissue of my body functions perfectly. As God created it to function. I forbid any malfunction in Jesus' name. Arthritis and sickness, you must go. Tumors cannot exist in me. For the Spirit is upon me, and God's Word is in me. Sickness and fear and oppression have no power over me. Jesus said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means harm me. Devil, I have authority over you, and I trample you under my feet. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. He permeates his life through my veins sending healing throughout my body. Body, I speak words of faith to you. I demand every organ to perform perfectly because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. I charge you in Jesus' name and by the authority of his word, be healed, be made whole. I will not die, but I will declare the works of God. Lord, you bless my bread and water. You take sickness away from me. In the number of my days, you fulfill. You forgive all my iniquities and heal all my diseases. You redeem my life from destruction. You satisfy my mouth with good things. So my youth is renewed like the eagles. In Jesus' name, amen. So be it. A disciple believes the word, and a disciple is a doer of the word, but a disciple is a meditator in the word. That means that you imagine yourself right there. You personalize it, and you confess. You confess what the word of God says about you. That's why in Isaiah 59, the last verse, this is what it says. It says, my word that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, nor the mouth of your descendants, nor the mouth of your descendants' descendants from this time forth 
and forevermore. And we need to decide that from this time forth and forevermore, we're going to say what God says about us. We're going to acknowledge every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. Say, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Now, if you came with somebody only, but if you did, I'm going to ask you to take their hand right now. If you came with somebody and if you're online right now, you're with somebody, why don't you take their hand? In a group of this size, there's people in every spiritual condition. Some of us have served God for decades. And others, the truth is right now, you are away from God. And many of you, you have no idea where you stand with God. But the Bible says, know that you have everlasting life. We're not supposed to die and find out if we make it to heaven. We're supposed to know. And if you're here today, you're away from God, or you don't know where you stand with God, and you say, I want to be right with God, I want you to listen very carefully. I'm just going to tell you two things Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. What that means is this, that no matter how many good things you or I do, we can never earn a position of being right with God. We can never have peace with God through the things that we do. Jesus said, I'm the way you can have peace. I'm the way you can be forgiven. I'm the way that you can have relationship with God. And then he said, you must, no option, be born again. And what that means is you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life and accept what he did for you on the cross. Now, when you do that, instantly, he takes your hand and he puts it in God's hand. And you're in right relationship with him. He restores you to that relationship. And instantly, you're right with God. You're forgiven and your past is gone. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me. And I want you to pray from your heart. I want you to pray this out loud. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king, my Lord, and I will live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer and my past is gone, that I'm forgiven, that I'm now a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.